Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there and welcome to the What Culture Game podcast. I'm Ben Roy and it's Wednesday, so that means Scott's eating a KFC somewhere. I'm joined today <laughs> by Ewan and Josh. How are you doing? The Colonel has him in his vice-like grip, I'm telling you. <laughs> He's returned. Like, the Colonel's back, so why not? Mm. We've all, like, had to... We've all been brainwashed and we're just, like, <laughs> getting the Colonel up, like, in the Colonel's, like, new foot... <laughs> I knew foot you'd new come crawling back, Josh Brown. <laughs> I've literally lost, I've insulted about I imagine a third of our viewership who live where the Colonel's from, somewhere in the deep south. <laughs> I, I mean, like, lucky for those viewers that their KFC's never closed. I, I'm going to paint a picture for you quickly. Walking down, walking to my local shop the other day, it was a Sunday, and like in the cartoons, I caught a whiff of a sound. I was like, "What's that?" And started <laughs> floating towards the KFC. Like I actually floated as an like army Peter of. Porker. Yeah, as an army of uh, food delivery drivers were there, just waiting. There we go. And I this is why, dude. and this is like, why Scott's not here today because he's getting his KFC. <laughs> you, you practically did a witcher side mission there. You had to turn yeah. your witcher senses. You're following the sense straight into KFC's doors. Five years <laughs> like, on, I'm fun. Batman in detective mode. Alfred, I can filter the computer to track particles of KFC secret ingredient, and then just following <laughs> it everywhere. Anyway, as much as I would want this to be the the KFC cast, it's we, not the um, KFC cast. You've lied to what? me. Ah, I got to bring you the chicken, and I just got you get in that bit, the, the bit of the taste. But um, you're under false pretenses. I don't like it. Yeah, but we all like video games, right? I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and the panel is called What Culture Gaming. <laughs> we all kind of uh, get upset when our games change. We don't like them. So I thought today we've done this before. Like we did, us, us three actually joined forces before to talk about video games that came back from the dead, uh, a la Rainbow Six uh, and Colonel Sanders. And Colonel Sanders, he's returned as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought we would now join together and go into games that. Uh, Keep getting updated, but go too far, like add too much or change the meta so much that it doesn't really resemble what that first product that you loved when it first hit the shelves or hit your digital storefront or anything like that. So I just wanted to pick both your brains today about like, uh, is there a game or do you feel this happens too much with games where developers are just always adding stuff to always get in the headlines or keep getting that user interaction or bring new people in that it just kind of muddies the water? Yeah, I was going to bring up 
potentially two games. I won't say Rainbow Six Siege because I did get back into it the other month and had a good time until you get to the upper ranks of that game on console where you just come across all the just the saddest, most miserable people ever who have found a way to get like a mouse and keyboard set up going on their console. And it just makes the the like playing on the platinum ranks is just impossible now. Yeah. You'll, you'll have fun get into platinum and you'll get to platinum and you'll just encounter so much bs that it's not worth your effort and that's not really a fault of the meta or updates that's more of a an issue on sony and microsoft side in respect to the xbox one and playstation so um but if i was going to talk about a game that i feel as though got too many updates and lost me i'm gonna say overwatch now i know that ign have done their thing now where they re-review everything and they've just re-reviewed overwatch and given it a big old 10 big old okay. 10 masterpiece and- I absolutely love Overwatch. It's like one of my favorite games of the last console generation. Um, I actually got back into it round about when the Moira update dropped, and I really liked Moira. I thought she was a great character. But that game, to me, typifies these, these current multiplayer titles that feel so beholden to change the meta and they're constantly responding to consumer feedback oh this character is underpowered this character is overpowered we've got to change the meta because everyone's relying on this sort of, like this team build or whatever and overwatch now to me i feel as though i could never get comfortable playing that game because every time i come back the character that i was familiar with that i enjoyed playing um was like now complete played completely differently and the example i'd probably use here is diva now apparently when diva was first in the game she was completely useless i didn't think so i thought she was a great character had really fun playing her and then they felt the need to make her really really good then she became too good and i'm like balancing games is so tricky unless your name's bungie and you can do halo perfectly but overwatch to (laughs) me i feel as though that game in its earlier stages was fine as it was and i understand that with every character and map you add things are going to have to change but i felt as though it got to a point where they were changing the meta just for the sake of changing the meta um and that might be a very ignorant thing for me to say because i've not played the game in like two years now because of the meta changes and it might be amazing and stuff um but i genuinely thought that at the time it had gone through too many changes and at that point i was just like you know what i'm gonna cut my losses here i had a good time with overwatch but i just i can't keep up with everything that's going on it's funny you should mention that, Ewan, because I did more or less the same thing with Overwatch. It wasn't to the point where I was that frustrated with it, but I felt like it, it had updated so much in the time since I was aware that I felt very similar and that I didn't want to jump back in to have to learn everything again. And that's not necessarily just a fault of Overwatch or Blizzard or whatever. I think that's just a common theme among a lot of these games, like some titles I could be really into. It's happened to Rainbow Six Siege now. I've mm. had such an extended break from that game that I'm worried about getting back into it because I wonder whether it's just kind of grown beyond me, if that makes sense. And I do think, you know, that's obviously very much a me problem as well by by not constantly keeping up with it. But I do think there's something quite intimidating about going back to a game that has changed so much or rebalanced so much that it kind of doesn't represent what you loved originally about it. And that might, again, it's not necessarily, it's more an optics problem. It's more uh, optics of like being a fan of having an idea of what a game is in any small change might throw that completely out of whack and make you not want to return to it. It's a very strange relationship that I think is quite unique to modern games as we see a lot of these games as service releases come out as uh, we see, you know, games occupy a role as a platform rather than an individual experience. And 
sometimes that you know pays off if you're in those communities if you're in if you've been in rainbow six from the start you probably love the way it's changed and continue to modify and continue to keep you interested but yeah i do agree that like you said with overwatch sometimes there are moments where it just loses you it feels like it's making updates for the sake of making updates and to a lot of people they, that might be awesome but i do think it it loses a lot of players in the process I kind of think that some games tend to listen to their fans too much, if that makes sense. Because I've never, I've never stepped into Overwatch, so I can't really speak to that. But um, I'm going to go to Rainbow Six as an example here. I used to love playing as Ash. Like I thought, like I would nickname her. Ooh, uh, no, I'm not having this. What? I nicknamed her Bay because Ash was amazing. <laughs> Ash was my main. When I wasn't playing as good old Margaret, you know, Thatcher, I would then choose Ash and go in there for the kill. But then they did a th- horrible thing. They took away Ash's ACOG scope. Good. And... It was a good thing. She was no. broken. She's still broken, Benroy. I, I, how about it's Victoria? How about you, they just, people that play as Ash are just pretty victorious and like to win a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Winner, winner, Terrible. Rainbow Six dinner. But they, they took away my ACOG scope and she's never, it's never been the same. That character has never really I've got back into the groove with Ash. So I've had to go. I mean, it's drawn me to some of the newer people. But for me there, that that would kind of like you if you're your your Moira character situation that kind of ruined like not ruined in the drastic way that my life is destroyed but it kind of like um made it less fun to play as that person well the thing is that i think we touched on an interesting kind of how the double-edged sword of like the the, the changing of the meta and updates and stuff because you're right when these changes came into effect i used <laughs> to play on overwatch for instance I used to play as mercy all the time and they changed it so that her ultimate was then an ability and i kind of thought that messed with the satisfaction of where your team would have died and you would have timed the resurrection perfectly and obviously there was the idea of momentum resurrecting where you keep players you keep more of your posse alive as a, a, basically for a longer period of time or you come in and get on the point and revive everyone and basically win the game um and with that it, they changed it and it was a case of like well okay that pushes me to go and consider different characters but is it necessarily um working for, for the long run the thing with rainbow six and and the ash stuff is that i feel as though sometimes developers they make easy changes to try and address a more fundamental issue so with that character the main issue has always been i thought was the fire rate of their weapons their speed and how tiny their hitbox was and obviously the acog helped it a lot but it didn't address the fundamental issue of why that character was broken at least to me and again i assume when you stopped playing ash you went to a character that was kind of similar or had like a similar kind of fraggy sensibility where they'd go in for kills all the time like a zafia or something like that i don't know I, it's funny, if I want to play as Ash, I'm feeling very aggressive, but then sometimes, like, say, on a defender side, I'll just like to pick someone with a shotgun, like, uh, for example, like I know it's different, the defender, but the Frost, mm-hmm. I sometimes just like to sit back and just wait for someone around to come around the corner and murder them. I used to love playing as Castle as well, but I kind of fell off that character as well. So, I, I don't know, I'm kind of like here and there. You're the <sighs> man who keeps castling me on the objective you are. You absolutely <laughs> are. I'm trying to get out, trying to get out, just go and put the castle up. <laughs> I tell you what, though, when we are so far ahead, I will get, I will burst out the Tachanka or burst out um, Montaigne and just have a laugh. I see that. I love that about Rainbow Six because when I first started playing it, I, I must have 
put tens and tens of hours into a single character and of course it was ash because ash was the best and i was very good at playing ash and i can make what, all my what, friends what jealous what kind of company do i keep what is this i thought i, thought I raised you both better just here going like ah oh, yes i love playing as ash because i like kill what about the team the team nah. guy the team no, you you never play with my friends they're, they're complete liabilities man they're they're already written off i need to do whatever yeah. i can to turn the tide but what I will say is, as that game progressed, I did find myself branching out. Usually, at least when I play multiplayer games, I branch out at the start before I get into a groove, you know what I mean? I branch out, try all the weapons in Call of Duty, get a loadout that I like, get the perks that I like, and more or less just stick to it. In Rainbow Six, it was more or less the exact opposite. I found you know, a couple attackers, a couple defenders that I really liked, but now, at least when I used to jump back into it, I would, uh, I would, I would mix it up. I'd be encouraged to players um you know different attackers different defenders depending on who my friends had chosen depending on who i was fancying in the moment depending on which skins i'd unlock for certain characters and stuff like that so i think rainbow six is quite a good example at least to me of encouraging you to work as uh, or at least experiment with different play styles experiment with different operators but again sometimes like like we've been saying there is a sweet spot. Sometimes you might get out of that by tweaking things too much. And then when you're finally getting to grips with one character, it changes and then you're kind of back to square one. That's kind of frustrating for me as a player because I feel like time is so precious and I've invested a lot of time into these games. And if you make a major change like that, that puts me back at the beginning, it's kind of like, well, maybe I'm done because for me, I don't play games forever. I always have a point where I move on to something else. Uh, and oftentimes that comes when a sweeping change like that is made. And I do feel like I've gone back to square one and I have a nice end point to jump onto um, another title. I will just say, uh, you in, so characters I moved on to, Nomad. Nomad has, an, has a pretty good light scope. So yeah. basically replaced Ash for me. And Maverick, I don't know if um, ever of you played much Maverick's in the Maverick good. era. Yeah. Just like burning a little hole in there and just getting someone with that. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to... Yeah, changes that I really didn't like in the game, and kind of a reason that spurred this on uh, was PUBG. So PUBG's been around like we we all, people hail it as like the birth of the battle royale genre. But then we got H one Z one. We've got all these other little people around the corners. But we're talking about I'm going to talk about PUBG now, and I've a game I've put over a thousand hours into. Uh, I have across three uh, platforms have multiple dinners i'm not like oh i've done this i've lost thousands of times as well <laughs> but they've done they've been rampantly changing that game to the point where they've been looking at fortnite and going we need to be quote fun and we can't be we can't be the hide in the bushes game we once were which i kind of really dug and enjoyed it harking back to like the original, original Ghost Recon games on the PC where mm. you would spend half an hour crawling through four bushes and picking people's heads off. But with this, they've now gone and they've added bots into this new season. And at first, it was really weird the way they rolled it out because it wasn't made so clear. And playing the game, it feels empty, strange, and weird all at once because we're pretty sure... Uh, there might be someone on YouTube who's done a massive investigation to this. But we're pretty sure that if you're in a spot and you look away, they just spawn a bot behind you. Because mm. no word of a lie, there was one part on the original map, Erin Girl, uh, where I, my team was ambushed by, I think, one real person 
I ended up having seven bots spawning behind my back every time when it was impossible for them to be. And it's just almost taken the game and ripped out its heart and soul from you're going on an island with a hundred different people on it. You know these are real people and you've got to use your wits or you've got to be sneaky or you've got to use, utilize something or just drive around a car and be a troll and honk that horn <laughs> to get through and win. But here it just feels like, uh, this is like, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to use, I say baby mode because it's just like, it feels like they're trying to make it so it's a wider appeal and they, they realized, I know baby's life is, is like reductive thing. I'm just trying to think of something better to say, but yeah. it's a way to try and bring more people in and try and be like, look, we can be like the Fortnite 2. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like a really, that's a really interesting point you've raised there is the idea that a game can continue and persist for so long that when it gets challenges to the thing that it does so well, yeah. does it, you know, stay the course or does it shimmy around and try to meet the challenge by mimicking them in a way i guess and you know siege to me maybe is a little bit has taken a look at overwatch and tried to mimic that with the more outlandish operators that it has at its disposal as well i would say and the PUBG thing i called it PUBG in a video the other week and people got very angry uh, <laughs> PUBG. um that's a shame because yeah, the fran I've not played much of that at all, but clearly its franchise identity was very much this is billed as the serious battle royale game, whereas Fortnite was very much on a capital. It's 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 weird how that battle royale circle has come complete almost. It's you've had an, an issue. Yeah, you've got like the Fortnite copy in PUBG, and now PUBG is copying Fortnite, and it's weird how it's sort of like I'm not going to say a symbiotic relationship, but it's like they're constantly feeding off each other. And the little nuances are what make those games. So when they get further and further ahead and the temptation to shed their franchise identity to actually catch up with something else, that's that's a big peril of this new kind of era of gaming we're in, which I guess no one's really had much of a conversation about. Yeah, and it's kind of like I think we were on the back back like two years ago, I was upset when they they took the ability to put eight, eight times scope on an AK. It's like that was my jam, man. The eight times scope on with a suppress on the AK, but now it's just now it's a game full of bots or it's a ranked game as they're calling it with yeah. only 64 players so those maps i don't know already on the normal mode it feels empty and on a ranked mode on some of those maps like miramar which is massive it's sure it's gonna be nice and it's gonna be slow paced and things like that and they're increasing the weapon drops and it just feels like they're trying to please everyone but like look, look, look there's more weapons you're gonna get nice weapons please come back please it won't be it won't be just arduous and painful like i mean yes it's bad when you have 20 minutes and die and only have a pistol to your name but i think that kind of was the part and heart of uh pubg and i think players that didn't want that had already moved over to things like fortnite apex and warzone i think that's a fascinating case study because it kind of it kind of makes you question where where the peak of that game was you know what i mean and and if these games have a kind of finite life it sounds like by implementing bots and stuff they're trying to extend perhaps artificially the lifespan of pubg you know what i mean because of a perhaps a dwindling player base if they can't fill the servers they're putting bots in there just to try to hold on to that experience that was there at launch and i think when we cook when we talk about a lot of these games as service games not just multiplayer games like it, there always feels like it's a sweet spot to play them for gta yeah. 5 online for instance i feel like just after heists yeah just after heist launch that was the sweet spot for that in my opinion obviously it's still going now and making a lot of money but you can see kind of the life cycle of these titles kind of peak and then uh you know fall dramatically to the ground depending on updates depending on who's playing them depending on the player base depending on the community and stuff like that so 
for me as a very anxious person that that's always something i think about when i'm buying into these games after the fact or at launch when am i going to get the best version of this title and i think it's a question that stops me going back to probably great games like rainbow six siege and overwatch and stuff and kind of a bit wary about buying into new franchises like for instance I know that if I buy a Call of Duty after launch weekend, I, I did this with Infinite Warfare. I bought that when it was in the sale because I didn't agree with them holding Modern Warfare to ransom. Uh, but then I did never really touch the multiplayer. It just wasn't for me because the time had passed. I felt like I couldn't get into that ecosystem. And at, and at that time, you know, it was like January, February. It was going to be another Call of Duty in, in less yeah. than a year. So there was no reason or no need for me to jump into that ecosystem. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. 
And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. The anxiety there as well is such a good point because you don't know when the support will actually end as well. They they kind of rise and flow and they ebb and whatever. And it's even more precarious if you're, you know, with EA. We've looked at what Battlefront 2 and Battlefield 5 over the, like the last, you know, couple of weeks have just basically had their updates you know, Battlefield uh, Battlefront 2 has had that. By all accounts, it seems as though EA have cut that game off prematurely and DICE had loads more content planned. And that's a shame as well. You know, when you're investing this time and energy in this game, then it kind of comes to a point where the vision isn't complete. And that's learned to factor in as well. And, you know, obviously the, the topic is very much about games that updated so much that you kind of lost their way or whatever. But it's also interesting to note that when a game is a game as a service, um, when is the project ever truly finished? And when do developers recognize that kind of that end goal? Is the goal, are the goalposts constantly shifting? What happens when they get to the bit where they're like, okay, our vision has been complete now. Do they then go, let's move on to our next project? Or in their head, are they thinking, well, we need to artificially extend the life of this game, like you mentioned. With, with potentially with, with PUBG. Yeah. Uh, the, a mi another minor one I've just thought of is um, I've been going back into Gears 5 a lot recently, and they made a few changes here and there, like say uh, there's a character called JD who would have this uh, gun called Lancer with a grenade launch in the bottom. You would start that in Horde. Now, they're very on top of getting rid of exploits in that game, where you would get your Lancer, you'd put on a weapons locker, so you wouldn't have to buy one, commit suicide, respawn with a new one for free, and they've taken that out now by just giving him uh, what they call a boom shot instead. And it kind of like doesn't fit because that character wouldn't come into battle with that straight away. And it doesn't feel right that he's the only one now being segregated not to have that gun. And other things like in, um, they have this mode called Escape where there was one map where you could, if you, you, I got it right as well, you would run through and you would just do it to check off some of the uh, timers so you could get your points through to upgrade through the their version of the battle pass. And they ripped up that map, changed it, and have made it pretty much impossible to ever do that run again now. And I don't know whether it's right. It's not the question is right, but is, is that too far as well? Like fixing exploits, which aren't exploits because none of those exploits are hurting people because none of them are competitive modes. They're all co-op modes with other players against AI. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I guess the thing there is you'd have to bear in mind the developer's vision in a case of like, well, did we intend for people to capitalize on this and then yeah. go forward with it? The one thing that I was going to ask both of you as well is the role of esports in the way these these games are actually evolving, because certainly in the case of Rainbow Six, we know that they with the Pro League, Ubisoft are constantly changing the meta and the maps themselves based on feedback from pro players which is a really interesting thing to be a part of but if you're not a pro player and you don't go for those pro strats or the things that they do in those games um it can have a really weird effect on the actual game itself and ubisoft have loads of data that they use to, to basically go in and, and make these changes into effect you know they have like um, there was a really good graph 
Um, I forget the, I think it was Get Flanked, the YouTube channel. They had a really good graph on that Ubisoft put out where it was like the pick rate of an operator and the, the, the round win rate and calculating that basically Jaeger and um, Ash were like way too high on those and therefore needed to be looked at to be changed or whatever. But the, the thing that really fascinates me about this is, you know, with Overwatch and, um, and Rainbow Six, certainly, is the idea of pro players basically um negotiating the meta and the way that game transforms over time and it's interesting to me i feel so i can't think of another example where esports have had such a drastic influence on the way a game has developed over time particularly with siege and with overwatch because everything is constantly changing and evolving based on their feedback and again I think you have to point out there is that even though these both of these games have very you know highly populated pools on on ranked game modes and stuff where people are very much into the competitive side of things, if you're not keeping up with the esports, how does that? Are you segregating your player base that way? It's one of those things that I find really fascinating because on one hand, on, on paper, I think if you're listening to your most dedicated players to get the feedback you need and to get the most you know kind of compelling experience possible, that makes sense. But at the same time, is it a case of one size fitting all or is it something else entirely? It's a fascinating thing because like like you said, yeah, like what it's it's always a balance, isn't it? It's who do you want to look at? Do you want to look at and get feedback from this high-level dedicated audience? Or do you want to kind of branch out and encourage new players to join? You don't want to, like you said, segregate that experience from people who might not have been able to buy it straight away or are only just getting around to it. Um, you know, you look at, again, I'm going to go back to Grand Theft Auto V online. Like that game continues to succeed because people keep buying Grand Theft Auto V. You know what I mean? That game is so old now that there would, there would be people just picking it up who wouldn't have even been able to legally buy it you know what i mean when it came out that, that game is constantly getting populated by new players in a way that informs the meta and informs the updates and informs um how it works so for me it's always interesting to see like i said especially as we go into this new age of video games that are supposed to live forever how do they get to the point where the games can live forever is it by catering to this incredibly dedicated um, fan base that will continue to give you feedback, continue to pay for things, or is it by trying to court new fans as well? Or is it, I assume, somewhere in the middle? Because like Battlefront 2, for instance, yeah, like there is that feeling that the the content has been cut short and that is very much EA kind of sacrificing the dedicated built-in audience to move on to something else, to move on to Battlefield 5 or a new Battlefront further on um, down the line. It's... I don't know. I don't envy being in a developer's position because they have to analyze so much data. I think um, Mark Brown of Game Makers Toolkit did a really good video on how developers actually take feedback from fans and how they, you know, shouldn't necessarily listen to the solutions they have, but use that to inform questions about their own game and interrogate it like that and move it around. But yeah, the amount of data that they've collated on these multiplayer shooters is ridiculous and obviously you know that data needs to be informed by actual lived experience and stuff but like again i don't envy it though i do want to kind of mention one thing that we haven't touched on and that's updating a game after the fact with kind of business practices only in mind i'm thinking very much of activision games when it comes to this yeah. uh, black ops that is a series that mm. is terrible for just ruining the experience after launch you know what i mean by Activision implementing loot boxes and microtransactions or pay-to-win weapons and stuff like that and kind of completely souring the positivity that they might have gained from the community and that idea of shipping you a game at launch that is perhaps better than what you get further on down the line is just 
is kind of, it's worrying, it's, it's a bit insulting, and we've talked about it loads in news about the language they use. You know, developers for Activision games often come out, me and Scott did a news on this yesterday, actually, they come out and say, there won't be any microtransactions at launch, but then that gives them so much leeway to change it after the fact. And again, just referencing someone else's video who talked about this smarter than me, but I think Jim Sterling did a really good video on how that kind of gets people to buy into these multiplayer experiences, gets them invested. You know, I might be level 50 in Call of Duty, might have all these weapons. And then when they release these updates, it kind of, you know, encourages you to say, well, I'm, I've invested X amount of hours, so I might as well buy this battle pass. I might as well buy this loot box. I might as well spend £2.50 for a weapon skin or something like that. And it's quite insidious the way they get you in with a experience that is complete or free or whatever, and mm. then add all this stuff on the top. So the investment is already there, so you feel like you need to do it. That is something that I don't want to see publishers kind of get carried away with. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only the only thing there is that I'm kind of grateful for the fact that we do have... So, I guess grateful isn't the right word. I'm very happy now that we've moved away from the era of season passes where you'd segregate your player base with more and more content coming out. So, like, say, the Battlefront 1 season pass was quite notorious for that. You know, it was like, what... 30 40 quid after the game came yeah. out madness and you had that situation where you were effectively segregating the game's player base and the further a game goes on the more segregated that player base becomes mm. and the more difficult it is to maintain a community and i guess the way you you maintain that is to monetize different aspects of the game but yeah certainly call of duty is the worst offender there i remember being very upset when i got um Modern Warfare remastered but i think it was a free game for playstation one month it i was, can't remember yeah. and i ended up picking it up and i was like yeah What's all, what's all this? What's all this bollocks they've put? What? <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. Like Modern Warfare Remastered, I remember that caused such a stink because they added in all of this extra stuff that wasn't there originally and made you kind of grind it out and pay for it whilst also selling the DLC that was originally released. Oh, God, separately my, yes. An additional price. So you didn't even get that, but you had all of this stuff that you didn't want. And yeah, for me, Activision are by far the worst for it, you know what I mean? They've, they've done some good things. I will stand by the fact that um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the remaster, the remake, sorry, uh, reboot actually is the word I'm looking for, <laughs> has handled its post-release content very well and sort of tapped into what you said there, you and it's- Except it's, for the updates. I can't except, play it. Like, yeah, yeah, except- <laughs> The file size that, is too big. <laughs> yeah, unless you have a massive hard drive, you can't play it. And I couldn't download Mafia 2 last night because Call of Duty is 200 gigabytes, but the way it's not segregated its um, community, like you said, is a step in the right direction, though we will see what happens with this year's Call of Duty. Yeah, and they don't forget Crash Team Racing. They put uh, yes. they put all that guff in it, like way, like not even way off enough so they can not put it on the box. Like I remember another a, a smart man, Sir Jim Sterling, would meant, would show the box said no microtransactions, yeah. and then they're all in there because well, they just yeah. stuck them all in there after launch. It's because like, just... like they get the developers to come out and like sort of say like we're not planning it, it's not going to happen, and then it happens anyway. And I feel like I said in that news video, I feel sorry for those people because obviously that's not their decision. They don't necessarily want to make a game like that. I've been writing mm. about um, Dead Space Three, which obviously isn't a multiplayer game, but how you know the decision to include microtransactions in that game came very late in development and completely messed up a system they already had in place. And I wonder whether that's the case for these Activision games and Battlefront Two at launch and. You know, I have examples a, like that. I have a worrying question that I'm going to posit here right now, and it kind of goes into the digital media age and stuff, and the idea of ownership over your own media and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I'm going to ask 
you both now is that with games as a service, do you ever truly have ownership over this product? As you say, you know, the goalposts are constantly shifting. The, the games are constantly evolving over the course of launch or whatever. Uh, it's almost like you're buying a ticket. Uh, to play new content that gets that comes out over and over time. Of course, you know when you buy a, whatever a game before that, it's, it's the case of, like you own the game, you can play the multiplayer. Whatever. I'm not disputing that fact, but at the same time, there's now gaming in 2020. If you buy a game and it's a games as a service title, or it's going to be constantly updated post launch, um, you are putting your faith in the developers that you're still going to be invested in this game. That this game that you have gotten is going to be the same thing a few years from now. And I find that very interesting, you know, and the idea is as well, it's like, obviously you pay it, you own it, you can play it for however long you want, but is it ever that idea? I don't know if I'm articulating this point well enough from getting across my thoughts, the idea of actually like having a game as a service title and it constantly evolving to the point where it's not something you're interested in playing anymore. Does, yeah. Is that is that at odds with the idea of like you've you've been sold on a vision and now the vision doesn't match up with what you wanted? I think it's an interesting, murky, ethical area potentially. No, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's like it probably it probably deserves its own bloody podcast at this point. But <laughs> I think that's becoming even more compounded by the fact that we have so many subscription services now. Like if you download a game off PlayStation Plus, like Modern Warfare. Um, once you stop paying for PlayStation Plus, it's not technically yours. Those free games mm. are only free because they're being loaned to you while you pay for another service. And um, I think it's the same on Games Pass, where if you if you download a game off that off that um, is, system yes. service, once you stop paying for it, that you don't have access to it, well, to it any, anymore. So it's almost like kind of what Microsoft were trying to do in 2013, but they got they went about it in the worst way possible. Got a bunch of backlash by saying that you know essentially you don't own these games, you just license them out you pay to participate in a platform and you don't necessarily own a complete thing because games aren't necessarily made to be complete anymore that's a video for you josh that you can do how microsoft secretly won the console argument or something <laughs> like that you know what i don't think you're entirely wrong there i think there is yeah. something in that because if pretty much everything they wanted to do has happened they've just made the messaging much more consumer friendly i think look don matrick is still somewhere he's on some pipes and he's just waiting for that innocent player to come so he can absorb them and then be brand new again and alive and, 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 Phil, Palpatine. and Phil Spencer might just be some sort of shadowy figure in the way at the moment yes maybe but I'm just going to posit this uh PUBG and Resident Evil 7 PUBG got its proper release in the same year Resident Evil 7 came out Resident Evil 7 is still the same game you can buy some things in there to make it but we won't go into that but the thing is PUBG is so different now and they're just bots and 64 players so that's how that's how i'm going to end this by going you look at i can look at those two games and how much they've changed and you can look at all the other ones and she's like i don't think we do own any games as you were saying and i am now losing ownership or the sense when i play this game mm. as it has gone on but i just want to know what everyone else who's been watching this and listening feels uh, do you think that uh, developers are putting too much into their games are they editing are they adding too much can't they just let them sit let us know down in the comments below or tweet us at wcgp um we will do question podcasts uh, every now and then when we get a nice little bucket full so if you just tweet us with wcgp add to the bucket we'll get scott to sift through that once he's done with his kfc bucket <laughs> and we'll have another question <laughs> podcast for you very soon but just remember until next time don matrix probably always out there <laughs> what a threat what a threat bedroid <laughs> <laughs> oh.
Goodbye, everyone. I think Bye. That's the end. Bye. That's the dead oh Bye. My God. <laughs>it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.